So one of those true things in life uh, that we always talk about is the fact that no one is perfect, which means that there is somewhere out there a perfect, a perfection, like a life done flawlessly that no one can measure up to. Uh, I think of my life, like where, where like all of us have a trillion different examples where this pops up. But the one that comes to my mind uh, was right after our daughter Ellie was born. Ellie is our second daughter. Uh, Eden was born first. Ellie was born second. Micah was born third, which means... That's the middle kid. So if you're a middle kid and you wonder why is everything worse for me? Why do my parents feel whatever about me? We're about to give some insight. So um, Anna obviously had a more difficult day than me. uh, But the day that Ellie was born, uh, like mid-morning, you start to get tired because life's just tough being yelled at as there's no drugs for the delivery. Um, which happened to everybody who is anywhere near there. Uh, but I, I took my newborn baby, swaddled her up, because that was the one thing I learned when Eden was a kid, uh, and laid down with her in that football, like holding it five points of pressure, just like if you hold football, that's how you hold a newborn, uh, and settled in for a nap uh, in the little chair at the hospital it gives you. So Anna is in her bed because she earned a bed that day. Uh, she's sleeping. I'm in the, I'm in the little like dad chair, uh, sleeping with Ellie in my arms, and I wake up because Anna says, you you're dropping her. <laughs> and sure enough, I look down and there's my little torpedo of a baby just like going into the crack of the floor. That's not a perfect moment as a dad, whether or not it's the first day of the kid's life, getting dropped into the chair like that's bad. Then we go home. And uh, like I said, she's a second born. So I'd already gotten good at changing diapers. So Eden, born, know how to change diapers. This is great. So uh, both both girls needed their diapers changed. So I put Eden on the table, do everything, put her down, slap her on the butt. She runs away. This is great. Take Ellie, take her tiny little baby, put her in and like do the tiny little diaper, tiny little wipes, tiny little poop, tiny little clean, put her back, set her down, slap her on the butt, walk away. And she just kind of goes like a slinky down onto the ground. (laughs) And Anna says, what? Look, (laughs) look down and there's the little kid looking up at me. That to say, even in our unconscious moments where we're either sleeping or just doing life as a habit, put, change the diaper, put the kid down, there you go. Like we're totally imperfect, all of us, me included. And for us as spiritual people, for us as Jesus followers, for those of you who are doing that in here, we actually have a word for our imperfections. And that's the word what we're talking about today. And that word is sin. Sin is any level of imperfection where we either say, think, or do things other than how God sent you and me into the world to do life, how to do things, how to live. Anytime we miss that mark in any way, it's sin. It's imperfect. And we see that spun out around us and in us and through us and because of us and affecting us in so many different ways. Like so much of the world is the way that it is today because of imperfection and put, to put it spiritually because of sin. And so what we're looking at today really gives light on this because it's lived in a way that we will never be, that, that perfect life that no one will ever be. The thing is, is that what we're talking about today is Jesus lived a sin-free life. Jesus lived his life completely sin-free. 
So what we've talked about for the last four weeks, we're going to talk about for the next month and a half after this, is 11 things about the life of Jesus that take him from Christmas morning, you know, when he's born and everything, to Easter when he dies and rises from the dead. One, those things that go into Jesus, for, us, for those of us who are Jesus followers, the way that we see this is that he is God with skin on. So what goes into that? One of those things is that Jesus lived his life completely sin-free. And the way that that impacts us, the way that that changes everything, the way that that hits home for us is that Jesus doesn't hoard his sinlessness. Jesus didn't hoard his sinlessness. Like this idea, this idea about the sinlessness of Jesus being a temporary thing that stays with him changes everything for you and me. If you're here, you're not here to Jesus follower, you're thinking, do I have to listen to bad music and vote a certain way for the rest of my life? No, no, no. This is what it comes down to. We all know what hoarders are, right? It's the people who have 18 wheelbarrows and 57 recliners and 32 posters of kittens all in their kitchen. And then there's the rest of the house. Like they just have stuff upon stuff upon stuff. The thing is, the thing that makes us a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus is you buy into this part in every part of you that Jesus' sinlessness wasn't something that stayed with him. Jesus' sinlessness wasn't something that stayed with him. This is something that he said uh, when he was on earth, they're asking him a question about service and Jesus takes it and he points it towards eternity. He says, I have to get these two things right or else it completes, like communicates something completely different. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's what we sang in the song at the very beginning, uh, that, that it, our shame was ransomed by Jesus's death on the cross. His sinlessness went from him to buy our freedom. His sinlessness went through him to pay for us. A way that somebody wrote a little bit after Jesus died and rose from the again. He said, for God made Jesus who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so we could be made right with God through Jesus. It's the idea of Jesus's sinlessness goes through him and when we declare our dependence on God, when we say, God, I have sinned, God agrees with us. That's, that's like the original meaning of repentance, of, of saying that we've made a mistake and we need to turn around, is we're saying the same things as God. That's, what, that's the root of us being Jesus followers is we realize the fact that you and I are completely broken, imperfect people by anything that we've, always, anything that we've said and done. And we're agreeing with God in that. And that's when Jesus' sinlessness is transferred to us. Because of what Jesus has done, there's hope and an offer of forgiveness that's available to all creation. So when we say that Jesus is sinless, that means that he's never done anything wrong. He's also never thought anything wrong. Like there's never a moment where somebody mouths off to him and he immediately gets this picture of Jesus just like punching the guy. Like that never happened. There's never a woman who walked by and Jesus follows her with a really, really long, you know, like that look. Like that never happened. He's sinless in every single way. And what this did was this launched Jesus followers, like those of us in here, into changing the world. Because that sinlessness, that forgiveness that was modeled and lived out so well by Jesus didn't just stay with Jesus. In fact, it's the type of thing that gets into our lives and changes the way that we live. 
And there's a group of people around the time that the Bible was written who's asking a question that a lot of us are asking today. And it's actually what our Tuesday Night Life group is all about, is does this work? They're asking the question, this whole following Jesus thing, following this person who said he was God and then died and then rose from the dead three days later, does following him actually work? Is this worth it? Does it work? So last week, Pastor Aaron was up here. He's talking about Alpha, which is our Tuesday night life group that starts at six and goes till 7.45. We talked about it for four weeks in a row. And last week he said, I won't talk about it anymore. He said that, not me. So, ha ha. He said that and I like put a little asterisk in my head. Yes, he won't talk about it anymore, but I'm preaching this Sunday. So, um, I encourage you to join us. So Tuesday, like it started last Tuesday, everything you know, I wasn't there for the first part. Like you, you missed nothing. Tuesday was awesome. Uh, we got a picture of what it looked like. We had tables everywhere. We had people everywhere. And we're all asking the same question. Does this work and is it worth it? They were asking the question in Hebrews, does this work? Is it worth it? And so I encourage you, if you're not doing anything on the next 10 Tuesday nights, or you're doing something on some of them and you've got some open free, join us. Like we obviously have more space at the tables. We would love to have you with us as we look at what is it to follow Jesus. And if you're thinking, well, what am I gonna do with my kids? Excellent question, because we have babysitters who are gonna watch them. And the best part is they're babysitters that go to a different campus. So if you're like, I'd love for my teens to like come and learn about following Jesus, perfect. We have a teen table. My daughter is at it. Some of the other daughters are there and we've got a son. So it's like, it's Perfect. It's great. A bunch of teenagers who sit over there. They're led by a young couple and they talk about the stuff that we're talking about. How does following Jesus work in a post-Christian world today? Like how does this all work? So Tuesday nights, 6 p.m. You can sign up out by the bagels and stuff like that. Let's get to the Hebrews. Okay. The people who are asking the question, does this work? Is it worth it? And there's a, there's a, a paragraph that brings so much light into this. How does Jesus's sinlessness affect us? And it says this, it starts out like that. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. You know, it's that, it's that question that we're asking. Does this work? Does this work? So what do we do? First thing is, is Jesus is actually there and Jesus cares. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So there's three things in there in the verses following that I want to unpack and that I want to settle in for the rest of the day. The first is that Jesus is the Savior who is qualified to offer forgiveness. Jesus is our Savior who is qualified to offer forgiveness. You know, sometimes when, when there's, there's stuff in between two people and, you know, like you can ask for forgiveness and the person who's extending it to you, you know, they're just as messed up as you are. So it's kind of like, cool, you forgive me, but yeah, what's the big deal? The reason that Jesus' forgiveness means something is because it comes from Jesus' sinlessness. That God made Jesus, who never sins, to be the offering for our sin. Jesus is qualified to offer forgiveness. Because Jesus coming into the world is God, what we talked about in week one of this series, is that it's God living with skin on. It's not just somebody who's trying hard. When we pray to Jesus, what we're doing is we're praying to a God who lived perfectly and understands us in our weakness. That part in the verse about being a priest, that means something to the people who read it and it should mean something to us because that's the personal mediator between humans and God. So you've got somebody who understands both of them. 
Jesus is the Savior who's qualified to offer forgiveness. Because only a sinless Savior could be the forgiver of the world. Because after any, anything else, it's almost like it doesn't qualify. It doesn't make sense. It's not good enough. That forgiveness, because we know beyond that forgiveness from Jesus, if Jesus doesn't, if Jesus sins, if Jesus doesn't live sinlessly, then we've still sinned against God. There's a quote that I was reading this week. It says uh, that Jesus has the unique qualification of having experienced the full force of temptation without once yielding to it. There's no question of his fitness to appear in the presence of God. He is the Holy One of God, free from all guile and defilement. What that means is that because of Jesus' sinless life, God raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the throne of God, and now Jesus is there praying for us. He's praying for us as one who is qualified to offer forgiveness because he himself has never sinned. It's like it's something that just means more because Jesus has never sinned. And then the verse continues. In verse 16, it says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I think that, that, that word grace there, that's one of those things that gets thrown around really flippantly and kind of forgotten quickly of what it means and especially what it means in this context. So grace, that means that we get better than we deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. Grace is we get better than we deserve. And so in Jesus, we have a savior with the holiness needed to offer grace to us. With Jesus' sinlessness, his grace means nothing. Without Jesus' sinlessness, Jesus' grace means nothing because it's one more sinner extending forgiveness to us. You know, when you and I forgive each other because of things that are done to us and things that just happen as being part of a community, when we extend forgiveness to each other, it's a reflection of what God has extended to us, but it only carries weight because of what Jesus has done for us. It only has significance because of what Jesus has done for us. Without amazing grace, without God giving us better than we deserve, giving us forgiveness when we absolutely don't deserve it, without that, all it is, is amazing observation, right? We're observing the fact that, yeah, you sinned against me and I'm offering you forgiveness. Without grace, all it is is observation. Here's what makes me think of that, okay? So between sixth grade and seventh grade, like a lot of boys in here, I, I grew, which means my pants didn't grow. Uh, so soon into like seventh grade, it's great because it's summer, it's hot. You can wear shorts for a long time. And then somewhere like early October, I noticed some of the cool kids were wearing pants. And since I was a nerd, I'm like, hey, I should try this wearing pants thing uh, instead of shorts. And so one day, I remember one day, one day, I wore pants, and the problem was, is me wearing long pants, the bottoms of my pants weren't hanging out with my shoes, and it wasn't close by a long shot, so much to the point that everyone who I talked to that day asked me, is a flood coming? Why don't you get new pants? You have nice ankles. You should cover them. Like, do something. So, that's not grace. That is observation. That is all the seventh graders at Sinaloa Junior High saying, that's not right. You should do something about that. So what I did was I went home, and like walked home from the bus, like the Charlie Brown walk and decided two things. I'm asking for jeans for Christmas. Second thing, I'm not wearing long pants until Christmas. And it was Southern California, not here. So I could do it. Grace is stepping into the problem with you. Grace is stepping into the flood pants with you. Observation is saying, that's not right. 
It doesn't rain that much in Simi Valley. You should do something about that. That's observation. Grace steps in and recognizes our weakness. So what the verse says, beginning of 16, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What that means in 2021, where all of our pants fit, uh, is that we have a savior with the holiness needed to offer grace to us. Is Jesus saying, I'm giving you what I earned and what I deserve but because you put your faith in me, that changes. Because you put your faith in me and because I don't hoard sinlessness, then there's an exchange that happens where since Jesus doesn't hoard sinlessness, he takes on our sin, he takes on our embarrassment, he takes on the areas in our lives where we don't measure up, where we subconsciously put the newborn down on the ground and expect her to walk away, where we subconsciously are absolutely imperfect Jesus trades places with us. That's where the sinlessness of Jesus becomes for you and for me the saving sinlessness of Jesus. And it's not a reluctant switch. It's not a reluctant exchange. Because I think it's so easy to look at this, look at everything that Jesus does, everything that you and I have done, and think, man, it must have been a bad day for God when I entered the world because of everything that I bring. And that's not true. That's not the way that Jesus models that. That's not the life that he's calling us to. He doesn't just forgive us. He makes us family. He brings us from death into life and not just a life distant, but a life done in family. So for you today, if you're sitting here, you've done the church thing for a long time and all, as I'm saying this in the back of my mind and the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, yeah, but. Thing is, you can't sin your way out of family. You can't sin your way out of being a son or a daughter of a God who loves you and a God who is calling you to him. You can't. Even if you're at a point like the people who this book was written to are asking, does this actually work? What's the message from the authors? Let us boldly approach the throne of grace where Jesus sits and we get better than we deserve because Jesus doesn't hoard his sinlessness. He makes us family. And I'm gonna tell you that God's grace on display in the person of Jesus extending his sinlessness to cover our sin, that is what makes you a Christian or not a Christian. I don't care how many years you have had a pulse in church. If you're still trusting on your ability to do life well, then you are not a Christian. What it means to follow Jesus is that exact thing, that you have accepted Jesus's forgiveness to cover your sins. It's not enough that God loves you because God loves everyone. It's enough to say my sins, which put Jesus on the cross, were covered by Jesus's sinlessness. That's what it is to become a Christian. That's why this thing about grace and about sinlessness is so big because it flattens our ability to do anything. Well, you don't understand how long I've served. Doesn't matter. Well, you don't understand the sacrifices I've made. Doesn't matter. Well, you don't understand the sin that I brought into the world that Jesus paid for on my behalf, that he exchanged his sinlessness for my sinfulness. That is what matters. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's the boiled down basis of it, is that God saves sinners. That was once each, that at one point that was all of us, but some of us have made the decision to follow Jesus. And that is what God is calling you to. That's what I'm calling you to. Isn't to 
fill in all these boxes of what you think a Christian looks like. It's where is your sin? Is it on you or has it been surrendered to a throne of grace where Jesus takes over? And Jesus forgives us and Jesus leads us from being an orphan to being family. He looks at you, he calls you son, he calls you daughter. He doesn't call you person who's served a long time. He doesn't call you person who's made a big difference in all these different lives. Where is your sin? Has it been surrendered to Jesus and given to Jesus? Or are you still trying to cover it by saying that God is close to me? That's the question. That's the message of this. And then the author continues. He says, there at that throne of grace, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Final thing is that Jesus is the savior with the on the job experience to guide us. He's the savior with the on the job experience to guide us. Not only is he God, but he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. I think that the words, you know, like books don't change people's lives. Sentences change people's lives and the way that they grab a hold of us. One of the things in here that I think is so comforting for us is the author who's writing this. He says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Those two words, all and yet. What that says to us, if you're in junior high, whether you've gone through all of that and now you're looking back at a life lived sometimes well, sometimes not well, everyone in between is that Jesus has faced all the temptations that we've faced. He's faced pressure from outside, pressure from inside. He's faced temptations. He's faced substance abuse. He's faced sexual immorality. He's faced all the temptations that we have faced. If you can think of it, he's lived through it. Yet, he did not sin. What does that mean? That means that out of grace, he wants to guide us because it's better than we deserve. But it's perfect what he wants to exchange with us. And his guidance actually means something. That as he looks at you and me today, thinking and we can put up every single facade that we know exactly what we're doing, we all know that there's going to be a day where the wheels fall off. And that's the point where Jesus wants to come in, where Jesus wants to guide us because of a sinlessness that makes his forgiveness, that makes his grace worth it and acceptable and valid. And then with the on the job experience to lead us through every single part of our life because he faced all of it, yet he did not sin. Our decision, our choice today is what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with our life? Are we going to let Jesus' sinlessness come in and change things? Or are we going to white knuckle it and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live. That's our choice. And Jesus is calling us into a righteous, grace-filled dependence on him where he leads us, where he fights our battles for us. And he showers us daily with his grace to change us. Let's stand and let's pray.